0: right well good morning everybody and welcome out to the fourth part of a conversation that we have been in now for the past few weeks uh, that we've been calling winning the battle within and so like I said today is the fourth part in this conversation in the series so if you're a, a guest with us here today or if you're just jumping in for the first time welcome to the conversation we're glad you're able to be part of um, kind of what we're talking about but if you are just jumping in let me let me just sort of kind of recap a little bit uh, the conversation that we've been having. So basically in this series, we're kind of investigating the question together, how can we become more like thermostats and less like thermometers? And of course, if you've been with us, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, that might sound weird to you, but basically what we said is we said as it relates to the way that we navigate through the circumstances of life, that there's two ways you can do that, right? You can do that like a thermometer or you can do that like a thermostat. And all of us know how those two things work. But basically, we said a a thermometer is an instrument that is designed in such a way that it always reflects and reacts to the external circumstance that it finds itself in, right? So a thermometer is always at the mercy of its external circumstances. It's always going to reflect the fluctuations that that it's experiencing around it. We say that a thermostat, on the other hand, is very, very different because the thermostat maintains a constant climate regardless of what the external temperature might be. So whether it's hot or cold outside or whatever, a thermostat is gonna work off of a predetermined fixed number and, uh, and it's gonna remain constant in those things. And so we said, how do we become people that are more like thermostats? And of course, what we meant is like, how do we become people who are not defined by, who are not determined by, who are not defeated by the circumstances of life, right? How do we become people where the circumstances of life don't determine who we are and how we are? how do we instead become people who, regardless of what's happening in our life, whether it be good or bad, or whether it be turbulent, or whether it be ideal circumstances, how do we become people who remain consistent, consistent in our character, consistent in our conduct, consistent in our convictions? How do we remain strong in those things, even though our circumstances might be ever-changing? And so that's what we're talking about. That's what we have been talking about for the past few weeks together. And the story that we're looking at to kind of help catalyze this conversation is we're looking at the story of a guy named Joseph. And if you're a Bible person or if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with his story. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, a story of a guy named Joseph. But the reason that we're looking at his story is we said, because the story of Joseph, if you're familiar with it, it is a story of extremes. And so you see Joseph's circumstances fluctuate to just, I mean polar opposite extremes. We watched Joseph uh, experience more pain, more hurtful, more unjust circumstances than, quite honestly, any of us will ever experience. And then we watched Joseph experience more power, more wealth, more affluence than any of us will ever experience. And yet we said, what's so crazy about this extreme fluctuation, fluctuating circumstances that Joseph's life, uh, you know, kind of goes through, we said, Joseph remains consistent that Joseph remains true to his convictions and his character and his conduct. It's all the same no matter where he's at. And so we're asking the question, how did he do it? And then of course, how do we do it? How do we become people like that as well? And so what we said is, we said the story of Joseph actually reveals to us what we're calling five internal perspectives. We're saying Joseph had these five internal perspectives, these internal beliefs that allowed him to remain constant in his ever-changing circumstances. So we've been looking at those together. And so today, super excited as we get a chance to continue in uh, this conversation. I don't wanna waste any more time. I wanna jump right back into this phenomenal story. So if you got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me and let's pick up where we left off last time. We're gonna go to Genesis chapter 42. Okay, so if you got a Bible... Why don't you go ahead and get that out and turn with me to Genesis 42. That's where we're going to be uh, headed here this morning. If you brought a Bible, Genesis is a real easy book to find. It's the first one in the the Bible, so that should be pretty easy. If you're using one of our Bibles, you can just turn to page 31. That's where you're going to find Genesis chapter 42, and uh, you can just get there. And then also, if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of ours. We would love for you to have one, make that a gift from us to you. So Genesis 42, okay. Now, as you're finding Genesis 42, um, I understand that today, like I said, it's the fourth week in a series, so we are kind of picking up in the middle of a uh, a conversation, the middle of a story. And so I think if you're just joining us, let me just give you kind of a high-level overview of what we've covered so far, okay? So this is kind of like a last time on Joseph kind of moment, all right, so let me just kind of update you on where we've been. Here's what we've found so far. So, so far, when, we've, when we were first introduced to Joseph, we found that Joseph was a young man. He was 17 years old. And the first thing that we learn about him is that he was sold into slavery by his brothers. So Joseph uh, had 11 brothers. He had 10 older brothers and one younger brother. And his brothers hated him. They just, they hated him. And partially it was because Joseph was dad's favorite, but the Bible says that the brother's hatred grew to a place where they actually intended to kill him. They plotted to murder their brother Joseph, but at the last minute, they decided instead of killing him, that they were gonna sell him into slavery. And so that's how Joseph's story begins in Genesis chapter 37. So we say that's what happens. Joseph gets sold into slavery. Then we find what happens next is that Joseph is then sent to Egypt. So he's uprooted from his home country, He is displaced into a new country. The Bible says he goes to Egypt where he is sent to serve as a slave in the household of a guy named Potiphar. So he's sold into slavery. He's now working in the house of this guy, Potiphar. From there, we said Genesis chapter 39 tells us uh, that Potiphar's wife started to make these advancements towards Joseph, but Joseph remains strong in his convictions and his character. And the Bible says as a result of that, his wife gets upset with him And she falsely accuses him of a crime that he did not commit. And as a result of that, he gets thrown in prison. So we said, man, this is a crazy story, right? You watch Joseph's circumstances go from bad to worse to even worse. His brothers throw him in a pit, try to kill him. They sell him into slavery. He ends up in prison for something he didn't do, right? Joseph gets a bum deal. And you kind of watch this for the first couple of chapters of the story. But then last week, we said an interesting thing happens. We said the story actually takes a turn. And Joseph's circumstances take a pretty dramatic turn. So this is what we looked at last week. We said that when Joseph is in prison, what happens is he meets these two guys who work alongside Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, of course, was the king of Egypt. He was the most powerful leader in the known world at that time. And the Bible says these two guys, a cupbearer and a baker, are inmates with Joseph in prison. And they have these dreams And if you were here last week, you might remember it turned out real good for one guy. didn't turn out so good for the other guy. But essentially what happens is Joseph helps them interpret the dreams with God's help. And as a result of that, he ends up getting introduced to Pharaoh. And so the Bible explains to us that Pharaoh has a a very disturbing dream. He cannot figure out what it means. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. He introduces Joseph to Pharaoh. And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. He says this, he says, Pharaoh, what's gonna happen is there's gonna be seven years of abundance, seven years of prosperity in the land of Egypt. He says that is gonna be followed up by seven years of famine and seven years of just desolation. And so Joseph says, what you're gonna wanna do is you're gonna wanna hire somebody says, you're gonna to wanna to hire somebody to store away grain and to administrate and prepare for when the famine comes so that you have what you need when that happens. And so Pharaoh goes, great idea, you're hired. And we watch, this was last week, we watched Joseph get promoted to essentially the role of the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in the known world at that time. And so we watched Joseph's circumstances shift and fluctuate and go all over the place. And here's the crazy thing, and this is what we said last week. We said whether Joseph was in the pit or he was in the prison or whether he was in the palace, he was the same guy. His character and his convictions were the same no matter where he was. We said that no matter who he was standing in front of, whether it was an inmate in prison or whether it was Pharaoh of Egypt, we said that Joseph remained the same guy in his convictions, and his character. It was incredible. And we said part of the reason he was able to do this is because he had these internal perspectives. He had these firmly established beliefs that guided him through that. Here's what we looked at so far. So far, we've looked at two of the perspectives, and here's just a quick review. We said Joseph was a man who was firmly convinced of these two things. He was a man who was firmly convinced, totally believed, God is with me, and God sees me. And God is with me, and he sustains me. The reason that Joseph was able to be a, th- a, a thermostat in these moments is because he was positive. God is with me, and God sees me, and God is with me, and he sustains me. In fact, you might remember a couple weeks ago, we've been, we've been poising this question to us, right? We've been asking, what would someone in your circumstances do? What would someone in your present circumstances do who is totally convinced that these two things were true? What would someone in your circumstances do if they were totally convinced that God is with them and God sees them and God is with them and God sustains them? So that's the kind of guy Joseph is. So today we get a chance to look at perspective number three. And I'm really excited about this because I think what we're going to find today is we are going to find Joseph in a set of circumstances that quite honestly I think are a set of circumstances that many of us have have only daydreamed about. All right, and so here's what we're gonna see. We are gonna see today Joseph in a circumstance where he is reunited with the people who have hurt him and have harmed him and have caused him the most severe injustice in his entire life. We're gonna watch Joseph reunited with his brothers, and we are gonna watch that Joseph, the tables have turned, and all of the power is his in this moment, and what he does is absolutely phenomenal. I just want to watch this together. So let's pick it up. Genesis chapter 42 is where we're going to start. Verse one, let's jump in. So when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard it said that there's grain in Egypt. So go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. All right. Now let me just pause for a minute. I don't know why. I love what he says here to his sons. Jacob looks at this and says, why do you keep looking at each other? Doesn't that just sound like something my dad would say? Like, I can hear myself saying that to my kids. But let me explain what's going on. You might notice in Genesis 42, the camera angle shifts in the story. And all of a sudden, we're back in the land of Israel. So the past couple of chapters, we've been tracking Joseph. We've been down in Egypt. But now the camera shifts And now we're back up in the land of Israel where Joseph's father and his brothers are at. The last time we saw these guys was back in Genesis chapter 37 when they were selling him into slavery. So now we go back to them. And the Bible says that Jacob, that's Joseph's father, learned that there was grain in Egypt. So this is during the famine, right? So the famine is taking place. The Bible says that the famine was so severe it didn't just affect Egypt. It affected all of the neighboring nations as well. And so uh, Jacob looks at his sons. He says, why do you guys just keep looking at each other? He's like, why don't you go do something about this? I heard there's grain in Egypt, so why don't you go down there and get some grain so we don't die? And so look at this. The Bible says, then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin. Benjamin, by the way, was the youngest. He said, Jacob didn't send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So basically, Jacob says, you guys go down to Egypt, get some grain, Benjamin's staying with me because the last time I sent you guys out with the youngest, it didn't work out so good. And so he says, this time I'm just sending the ten of you." Now, here's the thing I want you to understand because this is really crucial. The same 10 brothers that are going down to Egypt to get grain are the same 10 brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. And so you see where this is going, right? So, so watch this. So Israel, that's another name for Jacob. Jacob's sons were among those who went to buy grain for there was a severe famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all of its people. All right? So get this, if you wanted grain, you had to go through Joseph. Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt, and he was the one who controlled the, 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 uh, the ingoing and outgoing of grain. So if you needed grain, you had to go through Joseph. And now his brothers are coming to get grain. And so the Bible says, when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. So I want you to follow this. This is now the first time since Joseph was a 17-year-old young man who was sold into slavery that his brothers and he have seen each other, This is the first time that they have been reunited. And the Bible says that when his brothers come into his presence, the first thing they do is they bow down to him. Now, this would have been custom, right? If you were gonna go to an Egyptian high-ranking official to ask a favor, you would bow down to them. So they bow down to Joseph as was custom. Now, watch this. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, so as soon as Joseph saw him, the Bible says he recognized them. Joseph knew right away who they were. He's like, these are my brothers. That's them. That's them. But he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. So the Bible tells us that rather than disclosing his identity right away and saying, you guys, it's me, Joseph. You're my brothers. The Bible says rather than doing that, Joseph pretended like he didn't know them. He pretended to be a stranger, and he started to speak harshly to them, which some of us might be thinking, I see where this is going. And I like it, right? Joseph is, now he has got them right where he wants them. He can toy with them all he wants now and that kind of thing. So he speaks harshly. He looks at him. He says, where do you come from? Right? He starts to grill him with questions. And, and they, they answered, well, from the land of Canaan, they replied, we were, just, we're just here to buy food. And uh, although Joseph recognized his brothers, now this is interesting, they did not recognize him. His brothers didn't know that it was him. Now, real quick on this, some of you might be thinking, how is that possible? How is it possible that out of 10 brothers, not one of them recognizes that this is their brother Joseph? And uh, let me just kind of say real quick, sort of a side note, there's actually a lot of reasons why this is probably the case. So, so here's the first one. The first one's kind of an obvious one. The first one is this, his brothers weren't looking for him, right? Right? And so they probably weren't expecting that their brother was going to be the second most powerful dude in the world. So they weren't looking for him, right? But the other thing that's real important is you gotta understand that there has been a lot of time that has elapsed here. And so when this, if you do the math, this is about 20 years after they originally sold Joseph into slavery. So when they sold Joseph, he was 17 years old. Now he's 37, 38, 39. A lot of life changes in uh, in that kind of span, He's a man now, right? In addition to all of this, we also know that that Joseph worked for Pharaoh. Because he worked for Pharaoh, it would have been customary for him uh, to reflect the style of Egypt. And so Egyptians were clean shaven. They would wear wigs. Hebrews, on the other hand, would sport beards. That was just kind of the normal thing. So he didn't look like a Hebrew man. He looked like an Egyptian guy. And then in addition to all of that, the text actually tells us a little bit later that when Joseph interacted with his brothers, he did so through an interpreter. See, Joseph could speak Hebrew because he was born a Hebrew, but he pretended that he couldn't. And so he spoke Egyptian and he used an interpreter to speak to his brothers. So all of that accumulates to the fact that they did not recognize, they didn't know who he was. And then look at this. The Bible says, then Joseph remembered his dreams about them. I think this is fascinating. The Bible tells us here we are 20 years later and in this moment, Joseph remembers the dream that he had. And you guys remember the dream, if you were with us, right? The dream that he first had about his brothers in Genesis 37 when he was 17. This is the dream that started this whole thing off. This is the reason his brothers hated him all the more. What was the dream? You guys remember? The dream was that his brothers were all bowing down to him. And now, 20 years later, Joseph is standing and his brothers are all bowing down to him. And the Bible says that in that moment, he's like, the dream, the dream. That's right, God told me this was gonna happen, and it's happening right now. Now, what happens next? Um, I wish we had time to get into all of the details, but for time's sake, I'm just gonna summarize a little bit, and I would encourage you If you haven't jumped in on that reading plan uh, that we've created that's on the app, there's also a physical copy out at the Welcome Center reading through the story of Joseph. It's not too late to do that. I would encourage you to read this story. It's so powerful. But what happens over the next couple of chapters is Joseph proceeds to, to conduct a series of tests to his brothers So he does a bunch of different things to see if their heart has changed. They don't recognize him. Joseph never tells them who he is. He just conducts these tests and it's actually pretty brilliant. But finally, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 45, which is where I want you to look now, so if you leaf over just a couple of pages to Genesis 45, Joseph can take it no more. And so he reveals himself to his brothers in this chapter. And in my opinion, just in my opinion, I think this is just the coolest part of the whole story. Joseph is about to disclose his identity to his brothers in Genesis 45. Now, before we look at what he does, because like I said, what he does is just amazing. But before we look at it, I want you just to take a moment with me and I just want you to think through the gravity and the severity and just the nuances of Joseph's present circumstance in Genesis 45. Okay, so I just want you to think about with me, what are Joseph's circumstances here before he reveals his identity to his brothers? And here it is, here's what we know. First off, we know that for the past 20 years now, Joseph has been living a life separated from his family and from his country because of a severe act of injustice that was inflicted upon him by his brothers. So here's what we know. We know that Joseph for the past 20 years of his life has been detached from his family. He's been uprooted from his home country. He has been enslaved and he has been in prison. Everything that has happened to him over the past 20 years was catalyzed by one singular event. And that event was right here. His brothers sold him into slavery, right? In addition to this, we also know that his brothers, those same brothers who are responsible for that act, are all bowing, standing before him. So he's got them right there. And he is in a seat of power. And he is in a position where he can do just about what he wants in this moment. In addition to this, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. Oh, but he knows exactly who they are. He knows what they've done. He remembers everything, and he's in this moment where, where he, is, he is, is incognito, but he recognizes who they are, and then they have a need. Right? They need grain. Everyone needs grain. He has what they need. In fact, the Bible tells us Joseph is, is the link between getting what they need to live and not getting what they need and dying. And so Joseph is in a position where he holds all the cards in his hands. And then on top of all of this, on top of all of this, I just want you to understand that in this moment, Joseph has unlimited power to just do whatever he wants. He is the second most powerful man in the world. If he says it, Pharaoh says, okay, it's done. Joseph has all the power in this moment to do just anything he wants to do. And I think when you when you see this you begin to understand this is an emotionally charged situation. These guys standing before Joseph are the ones who made all these problems happen for him. They're the ones who are responsible for selling him, uprooting him from his country and from his family. Now he's got the power. Now he holds all the cards and he can do just whatever he wants. And so here's the question I think that we are forced to ask as the reader. The question is, what's he gonna do? What's Joseph gonna do? What would you do if you were in a circumstance like this? He could go a lot of directions here, couldn't he? He he could go the direct route, right? He could kind of go the aggressive vindication direct route, which I think is what many of us would, that's probably what Hollywood would do. Like Joseph could be like, you guys ready? I'm Joseph! the one you sold, right? Prepare to die. Like, he could do that if he wanted to, just, you know, they could have just totally could have went that route. That's what Hollywood would probably do, right? You know what he could have done? He could have went the indirect route. He could have went the how do you like me now route. He could have, right? He could have been like, hey, uh, I'm Joseph, your brother that you sold. But uh, you know what? It's all right because... Uh, Look around. Things turned out pretty good for me, didn't they? You guys notice my palace? Did you see the Lambo, the Ferrari in the garage? You guys ever hear of a little guy named Pharaoh? Yeah, we're like this, right? Yeah, I happen to know him. He's on speed dial. If you want me, I can get an autograph. You know, most powerful guy in the world. He and I are like besties, whatever, right? He could have done that. He could have just been like, how do you like me now? He could have done that, right? How about this? He could have went like this. He could have done the justice route could have went that route. He could have said, you know what? Let's just be fair. Let's just be fair. You sold me into slavery, and I went to prison. So now I'm just going to return the favor. So let me introduce you to a good friend of mine. His name is the prison warden. I have told him a whole lot about you. He can't wait to meet you. So enjoy the rest of your life locked up next to a large, hairy man named Marge. <laughs> right? He just could have. He just could have done that. You know what? At least, at least, you know what he could have done at least? He could have just done this. He could have just said, you need grain, I have it, and the answer's no. No. I'm supposed to do you a favor. Where were you when I needed you? You weren't here. So you know what? No. Good riddance. Bye. Hope you you survive. Good luck on your own. That's what he could have done he would have been justified to do any of those things. Let me ask you, what would you do? What would you do? Think about it for a minute. The person who has hurt you the most, just think about this. The person who has inflicted on you the most severe injustice that you've ever experienced. Man, they, they abused, they hurt, they cheated, they, whatever, the person who has inflicted the most severe damage on you, what would you do if you had all the power? It was all on your side and you had something they need, and they needed it from you, and you could just say, no, or you could just do, what would you do in this circumstance? Emotionally charged situation. Well, watch what Joseph does. Watch what Joseph does. Start off in verse one. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So Joseph couldn't couldn't take it anymore. He's like, everyone out, everybody out. So there would have been servants and attendants that were there. And he's like, go away. And he says, there was no one with Joseph when he made his present known to his brothers. So Joseph has them alone, which by the way, the last time his brothers and him were alone, they sold him into slavery. They had the power. They had him alone and they sold him into slavery. Now Joseph has them alone and he has the power. Now watch. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So, so, so get this, the Bible says that Joseph, this is just like, I mean, the floodgates just break open. This is 20 years of pent up frustration and angst and pain and, and hurt, 20 years of this. Joseph is, is holding it back, he can hold it back no longer. The Bible says it just erupts. And this isn't just like, he shed a tear and it rolled down his cheek. Now this is like, he is heaving. I mean, he is sobbing so loud. The Bible says the Egyptians heard him and that Pharaoh's household heard about it. Everyone's like, do you hear that? That was crazy. That guy was crying so, bad. it was that kind of crying. And then watch this, verse three. Joseph said to his brothers, here's a big, the big reveal, this is great. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. So he says, it's me. And the first thing he asked, is my father still living? So he says, I'm Joseph. Is dad okay? Is dad alive? And the Bible says his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence, to which I'm going, yeah, I think that makes sense that they would be terrified, right? In fact, it's interesting, the word terrified originally in the Hebrew language, it means uh, to be dismayed or to be dumbfounded. It literally is the same term that's used of the paralyzing fear that's experienced by those involved in war, it's the same thing. So the idea is they were shell-shocked, right? He's like, I'm Joseph, and he's like, is is, is my father alive? And they're like, I can't move, I can't talk, I can't. This is the biggest oh no moment, right? This is like the ultimate check underwear light just came on (laughs) situation, like "Oh, oh no. Whoops, right, so that's what's going on. Now watch this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come over here, come close to me. To which I'm guessing they're probably like, you know what, now we're good. We're fine just over here. And he says, no, come over here. So they had done so. And he said, I am Joseph. I am your brother Joseph. My guess is he probably was saying, look at me. I am your brother Joseph. And then he, he says this. He says, the one that you sold into Egypt which I don't know about you. I don't know if it was necessary to add that second line. I'm guessing they knew, right? He's like, I'm Joseph. They're like, Joseph? We know a lot of Josephs. I don't know, you know? The one in slavery. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) But he's like, I'm the one you sold. The one you guys sold into slavery. Now, what he's gonna say next in verse five, six, seven, and eight, these next four verses, I just gotta tell you, these next verses have had such a profound impact on my life personally that I have been praying for the past week or two that God, that maybe God would allow these verses to have the same impact on you. And uh, I actually remember where, I I remember when I first studied this passage and when I first read these verses, I remember it was just a paradigm shifting moment for me. And uh, I actually remember where I was when it happened. I was a sophomore in college. um, I, I was in Chicago. I actually remember where I was sitting I was studying this passage and I remember reading these verses and I just remember reading them and I was like, wow. And there was just a paradigm shift that took place. And ever since then, these verses have become an anchor to me. And I have come back to these time and time again. In fact, if you've been around the Medina East Campus for any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about these verses because they have just been so powerful to me. In fact, during the hardest, darkest circumstances in life, I have found myself coming back here over and over again to gain perspective. So let me just show you what Joseph says. This is so, so amazing, what Joseph says. And now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves. He says, don't be be upset, don't be mad, don't be scared with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now, Now, I want you to, Just think about this before we look at the next couple. I want you to just think about this for a minute. Look at the language that he says here. This is just really strong. Joseph says to his brothers who sold him into slavery 20 years ago, he looks at him and says, don't be mad at yourself. Don't be upset with yourself. Don't be scared of me because you guys sold me into slavery. He said, because God is the one who is sending me. God is the one who is sending me. And I think the key to understanding the power of what Joseph is saying lies in understanding these two words. He says to his brothers, you guys sold me. You sold me. But God sent me. God sent me. Here's why I think this is so important. I believe that what Joseph does right here is he introduces us to a new category of how to process through emotionally charged, painful, hurtful, unjust circumstances that we face in life. Here's what I mean by that, all right? I think that whenever we face serious pain, serious hurt, serious injustice, right? I mean like heavyweight stuff. And I think all of us, to some extent or another, have experienced that. And I don't know what it is for you. It could be a lot of things, right? Maybe somebody abused you. Maybe someone cheated on you. Maybe someone, I don't, took something from, whatever it is. But I think whenever we experience pain on that level, there tends to be one of two general responses that we gravitate towards as people. Right? And I don't think this surprises anybody. I think you probably all agree with this. There tends to be one of two general responses we have. And here's the first one. The first one is when we experience pain and injustice on that level, some of us choose to repress it, right? We, we ignore it, we repress it. We just, we try to live as if it didn't happen. We stuff it down. And so we just say, you know what? I'm not talking about it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not reliving it. I'm just gonna live life like it never happened, just gonna forget about it. No, I'm not gonna live like that anymore. I'm just gonna not deal with it. I'm gonna shove it down. We don't talk about it. I don't think about it, and we just act that way. And for some of us, that's how we gravitate. We tend to repress stuff, shove, right? Some of you do this. Some of us know people like this. And if you do, you know how it works, right? Here's how it works. Oh, you don't ever talk to mom about that. You don't ever bring that up. You don't bring that name up to dad. Oh, no, 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 no. You gotta understand in our family, that's a topic we never talk about. Oh, you bring that up, ooh, you don't do that. We just pretend that never happened. We just don't mention that person's name around here, right? You know how that works. On the flip side, here's the other response. It's the opposite, right? Repress it, suppress it, deny it. On the other hand, we amplify it. That is, we're consumed with it. Right, It defines us. It's the thing we're constantly, and a day goes by that we're not reliving the pain, reliving the hurt, reliving what they did to us. We're thinking, it, it, it drives us, it defines us, it determines how we are in a given day, right? just thinking about it. And man, we're ruminating on it. And we're driven to vengeance or revenge or a desire for justice. And we're driven by bitterness. And we choose to live in that place because this is what they did to me. And you got to understand that if someone did that to you, the reason I am the way that I am is because they did that to me. And if someone did that to you, you'd be just like I am. You understand that? And man, it just, it consumes you, right? You're defined by it. For some of you, this is the reason you are so motivated to, to succeed in life. It's because, man, you are fighting against something that has happened to you. Oh, I'll show them. Oh, I'll show them. Maybe that person isn't even alive anymore. Oh, I'll prove to them, right? And it controls you. For some of you, you're defeated by it. it defeats you. And you look at your life and you say, if they would not have done that, man, my life would be so much better. I would be so much better if this never happened. You gotta understand that my life was going a certain direction and it was all good, but then this happened and now I'm living a second-class life. And if that wouldn't have happened, everything would be okay now. and, And man, it just defeats you. See, but here's what I love about Joseph. He's gonna show us a third way because here's the truth. Whether you suppress it or you amplify it, whether you deny it or whether it consumes you, either way, that thing's got control over you. That thing has power over you. But Joseph shows us a different way. And I think this is so, so strong. Look at this. I think the key is understanding these words. He says to his brothers, don't be mad, don't be distressed for selling me, selling me. Now, this is really important. This is the second time now Joseph has told his brothers in the, I don't know, 10 seconds since he revealed himself to them, that they sold him. Joseph says, you sold me. Remember in verse four, I am Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Now he says, don't be mad at yourself for selling me. Now this is so key. I want you to see Joseph is not suppressing, denying, minimizing what happened to him. He's not. He doesn't look at his, he's not saying to his brothers, you know what you guys, I forgive you. Don't be mad at yourself because it wasn't a big deal. Wasn't a big deal. Water under the bridge. Let's all just get along. That's not what he says. You see what he says? You sold me. You sold me. You sold your brother. Not cool. Not cool. He calls it what it is. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't deny it. He says, you sold me. He's not repressing it. He's not suppressing it. He's not not dealing with it. He says, no, no, no. I've come to grips with what has happened. You sold me. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. In fact, I think it's interesting that I think this points out a very, very, very important point to us. And some of you need to hear this this morning. And I think this is very true. If you're a person that represses, suppresses, denies, and pushes down, I think it's important that you hear this. You cannot heal from what you will not name. You're never going to heal from what you're not able to name. And so if you think that the route is, I'm just gonna ignore it, pretend it didn't happen, and I'm just gonna go on living my life and it's not gonna have control over it, it's absolutely incorrect. It will always have control over. You cannot heal what you will not name. So Joseph says, you sold me, you sold me. Now, now here's the thing I think is real important here too. He's not minimizing it. And I also think that sometimes when we read this story, or at least I can speak for myself, when I read this story, sometimes I make Joseph to be such a hero that I think that somehow he's emotionally immune from the pain that this would have caused him. Like, oh, Joseph is like, I forgive you, no problem. I've never wrestled with bitterness ever. I'm great that you guys, but I don't think that's true. I actually think there's great indication in the text that Joseph wrestled severely with the emotions that were caused from this act of injustice. Let's give you a couple examples. Here's one. If you read through the story, one of the things you'll notice is that when Joseph's brothers don't recognize him, but he recognizes them, many times in their conversation, they mention Joseph's name. And every time that happens, do you know what Joseph does? He has to leave the room. He leaves the room and he weeps. Until he can regain composure and then he comes back in and he continues in the conversation with him. Why does he do that? Well, because man, this is just, this is just uprooting all kinds of baggage in Joseph. The other thing I think that shows us that Joseph really wrestled with the emotions that, that, uh, that, that from his past and from this act of injustice is what he named his children. I don't know if you guys, if you've been reading the story, if you notice this, it's really weird what, what Joseph names his first two kids. I'll just show it to you. It's in Genesis 41. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, which Manasseh, by the way, means forget. And he, say, he names his first son forget. He says, it is because God has made me forget all of my trouble and my father's household. So he names his first son forget because God's made me forget about all my brothers and all the trouble that caused me down there. The second son he names Ephraim, which means fruitful, He says, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Do you notice both of the names of his kids are direct responses to the pain of his past? You notice this. His first son, he names Forget, which I don't know about you. I just think that's really ironic that he's like, I have forgotten about my brothers and all the terrible things they've done. So I'm going to name my son Forget. So that way, anytime I forget that I have forgotten, I can remember to forget because every time I say his name, which is only 100 times a day, I'm gonna remember that I forgot. I'm like, what is this, that's weird, you know? And then this other son is named Fruitful. And a lot of commentators are speculating, why does he name his kids these two things? But here's what I think. You know what I think he named his kids? I think he basically named his kids a reaction to his past. He named his kids, forget you and I win. Those are his kids. Forget you and I, forget you, quit picking on I win, right? And that's like, those were his two kids. By the way, If you are looking for baby names, I'm just saying, forget you's got a nice ring to it. So go for that one, right? So, But that's what he names his kids. Why would he do that? Well, because he really wrestled with the emotions of this. And yet, even though Joseph doesn't minimize it, even though Joseph doesn't deny the pain that had happened, even though Joseph had severe emotions, like he's weeping in front of his brothers, the Bible says he still is able to look at them and he's able to say to them, don't be upset with yourself. I forgive you. Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid. Now, how is he able to do that? Well, I think the key is in the second word, because this is what he says. Don't be angry yourselves for selling me, because it was to save lives that God sent me. God sent me. He says to his brothers, "You sold me." That's what happened. Not minimizing that. That was not cool. But there was a bigger reality that was happening, and that is that God was sending. In fact, I think it's interesting. If you notice in the next four verses, three times, he's gonna reiterate this. So look, it is to save lives that God sent me. For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, there's gonna be no plowing or reaping. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. You see what Joseph says three times over? He says, you sold me, but God sent me, God sent me, God sent me. In other words, what Joseph is saying is this. He's saying there is no amount of human selling that can ever overpower God's ability to send. And I think this reveals to us the third perspective that Joseph had. I put it this way in my notes. I think Joseph's perspective was this. God is with me and God sends me. God is with me. Joseph was a man who was firmly convinced of this reality God is with me, and even though you sell me, and even though you sold me, God sends me. God sends, there's no amount, there is no amount of human selling that is ever gonna overpower a sovereign God and his sending, and so because of this, Joseph is able to look at his brothers and say, don't be mad at yourself, don't be angry, why? Because what you intended for evil, he's gonna say this in chapter 50, God intended for good. I think what Joseph does here, by the way, is I think he introduces us to the reality that there are two lenses by which we can look at injustice, painful, harmful circumstances in our life. We can choose to look at it through the lens of the selling. This is what they did. This is the harm they inflicted. And we can choose to live here. And I think if we do that, it will always control us. But Joseph shows us a different way. He says that we could also look at it through this lens, the lens of the sending, that even though they intended for evil, God can use this to accomplish good. In fact, it's really fascinating. If you actually read through the story of Joseph, you can read through it through either one of these lenses. You can read through the lens of the selling, what people were doing to Joseph, or you can read it through the lens of the sending. Here's what God was accomplishing through the story. And let me just give you, just for, just for the sake of clarity, let me just give you a brief example of what I'm talking about. So I'll just give you a brief example. But let me just show you. So I have two columns Selling and sending, okay? In this column, this is what people do to each other. And then you have the sending. This is what only God can do. This is what God accomplishes. And if you read the story of Joseph and you do this, you will notice that there is an incredible movement that both of these things are happening at the same time. So I'll give you just a few examples. Here's one. I think it's really interesting. At the beginning of Joseph's story in chapter 37, there is a very weird, peculiar, obscure detail that is mentioned in fact, if, you, if you've read the story, it may have kind of struck you as like, why is that in there? That seems like a useless bit of information. But the Bible doesn't waste words. And in Genesis chapter 37, verses 14 to 17, the Bible says that Joseph runs into a stranger. So basically what happens is Joseph's father, Jacob, sends Joseph to go see his, his, to his brothers. So J- Jacob says, go, go, go check on your brothers. So Joseph goes to the place that, Joseph, uh, that Jacob said his brothers were going to be. His brothers aren't there. And so then the Bible says there was a stranger there, random stranger. And the stranger said to Joseph, what are you looking for? And Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. I don't know where they are. And the stranger said, crazy thing. Were they 10 guys? He's like, yep, there was 10 of them. He said, yeah, they, I overheard them talking. They said they were going to this place called Dothan, which is really far away. And so Joseph said, well, thank you very much. I guess I'll go to Dothan. And so he went to Dothan and he found his brothers. What a weird detail. What a weird little, you know, almost like a mistake. Why is that in there? But yet, it's really interesting. If that stranger would not have been there, Joseph would have never found his brothers. He would never found him. This story would have never happened. It's interesting. When he gets there, his brothers plotted to murder Joseph. But at that very moment, when they were getting ready to murder him, an Ishmaelite caravan passed by, and Joseph was sold into slavery instead. Joseph's brothers sold him. That's what they did. But you got to understand that God was sending because if that caravan had not come at precisely that right moment, Joseph would have never gotten to Egypt and most likely he would have been killed by his brothers. The story would have ended there. They were selling, God was sending. When he was in slavery, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of rape. She sold him out. Terrible situation. She sold him out, but God was sending. The Bible says that had Joseph not been in prison, he would have never met the cupbearer who ultimately introduced him to Pharaoh. And then on top of all of this, wherever Joseph went, he was given the responsibility of administration. When he was in Potiphar's house, Potiphar said, I'm putting you in charge of administrating my whole household. When he was put in prison, they said, you're in charge of administrating the whole prison. All of this was preparation for the moment when Joseph would administrate the entire Egyptian nation. And all I'm saying is, you can look at this story through two lenses you could focus on the selling, the selling, the selling. But what's very clear is that no matter how many people tried to cause evil towards Joseph and tried to sell him out, they could not overpower God's sending power. Now the crazy thing is, none of this would have happened had Joseph not been a thermostat. If Joseph would have caved into his circumstances, if he would have just given in to Potiphar's wife, if he would have just said, you know what, forget my brothers, whatever, I'm just, if he would have done any of that kind of stuff, None of this would have ever happened, but because he was strong in his convictions and character, he watched God send him. Now, let me just talk about us for just a second. That's this. As it relates to the painful, hurtful, unjust circumstances you have faced in your life, what lens do you look at those through? You focus on the selling. This is what they did to me. This is the, the pain they've inflicted, they've caused. Do you allow that to define you and defeat you? Or can you focus on the sending? This is what God can, what if everything, and I mean everything, all of it, the abuse, the pain, what if everything can be used by God in your past to send you where he wants you to be in your future? What if? What if you lived your life, what would change in your circumstances if you genuinely believed in the midst of your circumstances right now that God is with me and God sends me? How would that change your perspective? How would that change your attitude? How would that change your response? Because that's what Joseph believed and that's what empowered him to take a step towards forgiveness with his brothers. God is with me and he sends me. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and as they, they make their way up, I actually um, wanna end today's conversation with a little bit of homework. Okay, this is a little piece of homework I wanna give you. I know homework has a negative connotation, so maybe I'll change it. Here's a challenge for you, okay? And I, I triple dog dare you to do this. This is for everybody in the room, all right? I wanna challenge you this week. I have found this to be a very, very helpful exercise. And I think if you do it, you will find that to be true as well. i want to challenge you to carve out some time this week, say maybe by half an hour or so, just to be with God. If you don't believe in God, I would encourage you to, 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 if you're open to the whole conversation, to say, okay, God, if you're real, I'm gonna sit down with you in this moment. And I want you just to write out two columns, okay? Sold and sent. Just write that down at the headings, sold and sent. Here's what I wanna ask you to do, if you'd be willing to do this. I wanna ask you to take some time to process through what are the things that have happened to you that people have done that have caused you the most harm, the most hurt, the most severe injustices, and I want you to write them down. Now listen, here's the thing. I want you to be specific. Be specific, write it down, right? They abused me. She cheated. They took whatever, whatever it is. And for some of you, honestly, that might be the hardest part. But like I said, you will not heal from what you cannot name. No one's gonna see this. No one's gonna see it. Though I would encourage you to share it with someone eventually. This is just between you and God. Write it down. This is what happened. This is how they sold me. But here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Don't stop there. I actually wanna encourage you to prayerfully ask God to help you fill in this column. And I want you to say, because of this, what they intended for evil, what was so hurtful and so harmful, what is the good that God has accomplished through this? And because of this, man, all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, because of that, this opportunity opened up. But because of this, I, I met this person. Because this happened, I got to, I, I got to Grace Church would have never been here otherwise. Because this happened, I got introduced to, to Jesus. Whatever it might be, I want you just to start listing it out. I want you to start doing some God math, okay? This happened, they were selling, but look what God was doing. I want you to peel back the curtain of those circumstances, and I want you to look at what God was doing behind the scenes, right? Now, here's the thing. I think for many of you, if you do this, you're going to find that you're going to be surprised, and that you're gonna see what Joseph saw. You're gonna see God's hand in your circumstances. But here's the other thing, and I just just wanna be honest about this. For some of you, you're gonna fill some stuff out on here, and you're gonna have some stuff in this column, but there might be some stuff over here that you don't have anything over here yet. For some of you, you might still be in the selling, and you don't see the sending. You gotta remember, it took Joseph 20 years to see it. 20 years. So, you might still be in the midst of the selling, but here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you would you be open to the reality? Would you be open to the possibility? Would you be open to the truth that even though you might not see it now, that God is with you and that He is sending you and that you can live in response to this column and not this one? And that you can choose to respond not to the emotions of this column, but to the reality of this one that God is sending me. And some of you are saying to yourself, but man, How do you know, how do you know that God is gonna take this terrible thing in my life and he's gonna make it for for good? How do you know that? Well, listen, here's how I know. If you'd be willing to trust him, if you'd be willing to stay strong in your convictions and your character and believe God, here's what I know. I think the cross of Jesus Christ is the loudest declaration of what God can accomplish through injustice, pain, and suffering. If God can take that level of injustice, the crucifixion of his son, that level of pain, that level of evil, and he can redeem that for the salvation of humanity? What is outside of his realm of control to send you for your good and for his glory? What if you lived in light of this reality? God is with me and he sends me. God is with me and he sends me. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, it's it's, uh, it's a very, 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 difficult reality sometimes to grasp when we don't see it but the truth is your word is abundantly and loudly clear that Jesus you are with us and that you send us that if we would trust you and that if we would obey and listen to you through our circumstances that if we would not give up but stay strong father that you would see us through and that you will send us God, the truth is for some people who are in this room, we would write some stuff in that sell column. There's some tough stuff represented in this room in that selling column. Unthinkable, unmentionable things that have been done. And God, it's hard. It's hard to name it. It's hard to, uh, to not allow that to, to define us, Father. But I pray that you would help us by faith become people who are defined not by the selling, but by the sending. Lord, would you help us to be people like that? Would you fill us with faith, fill us with courage, fill us with with wisdom that we could respond to you rather than react to the emotions and the selling that others have inflicted on us? So God, I pray that as a result of today's conversation that we would live differently. And we just wanna pray these things and ask it in Christ's name, amen.